All right. All right, folks, filing in. Thank you for joining Calling Shots today on the 4th of July. Uh, um, happy 4th. Hope you're staying safe out there. Um, I am joined by uh, Jake Fisher of Bleach Report and Colin. I, I did his show a couple weeks ago, and so he was gracious enough to come back. Um, I basically I left uh, the morning of the 1st to go on a family road trip that culminates with Summer League in Las Vegas. So I've kind of only seen really snippets of kind of what's gone on in the last couple of days. Like, um, all I knew, I, I knew something had happened for the go bear trade when all of a sudden my phone was just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing in my pocket. And then when I finally stopped, I saw that. So basically I'm, I need to get caught up and Jake help me. <laughs> um, so I am also away with family at undisclosed station with my parents and other folks. And I was in the car uh, about to go into Target to make a last-minute errand run when the news dropped of, of the Rudy Gobert deal. So I'm in a, I was in a similar position, um, but I definitely stayed more apprised on it. You want me to just go from the well, jump, or do you want to just kind of like? Is there? I feel something like we should most... we should start. Um, I don't know at the top. It seems like the the, the two the, the biggest pieces of business undone are globally the Nets. And DeAndre Ayton. So let's start with yes. the, let's start with the Nets. And um, you know, first of all, background kind of what happened to have it break this way. It almost seems like from the Nets' perspective, Kyrie opting in and Katie demanding a trade is like the worst combination of outcomes. I wouldn't say it's the worst combination because there is some flexibility here. If Kyrie opted out and signed on the non-tax or the taxpayer mid-level with the Lakers, then they would have been, you know, pretty screwed. Um, well, what if they trade for Russell Westbrook? That's a whole other can of worms. Um, <laughs> I mean, to really back up and give the answer as to why this went south, I mean, it, it all, it definitely starts with, you know, as I've written many a time and talked about a lot on Colin about, you know, last season really was the season from hell for Brooklyn, being that Harden came back from the offseason out of shape. Kyrie's vaccination status loomed over the whole thing. And then KD got hurt in February, and James was looking down at Philly with Daryl Morey and James Harden er, and Joel Embiid um, in an MVP type form. And uh, you know, he said, "Look, I think that situation is a bit better." And if you know Harden doesn't leave, you know, I don't think we're having any of these conversations now. Um, I think you know why we're in a spot we're in now, specifically, and what changed post Harden stuff, right? Um, Look, the Kyrie co- contract conversations have not been, from my understanding, the smoothest. I mean, they haven't been adversarial, um, from my understanding as well. But this has not been a typical, what, how many years, how many guaranteed type of stuff. There's a lot more at play with wanting games played incentives and also just using the forum of a contract conversation to open the air and have better dialogue about, like, the culture you're trying to, you know, quote-unquote, manage together, right, as, as Kyrie said uh, after their sweep to Boston. So I think ultimately when he did decide to opt in, I think it was a bit of a sigh of relief within the uh, industry city Brooklyn Nets, you know, headquarters. Um, and I do think that, you know, all the trade chatter around KD, like, momentarily stopped. Um, I, I know I had been saying all along that I didn't think the lack of discourse between KD and Nets people was that big of a deal um, this summer. I mean, Seth, obviously, you've been inside of it. Like, I think a lot of stars don't necessarily talk to the GM or the head coach throughout the offseason. Like, their people sometimes handle that for them. But, I mean, there was a gray area, obviously, before KD requested the trade that they weren't really in frequent contact with him and didn't necessarily know where his heart lied and people were rumbling about what KD would want to do if Kyrie did decide to go to the Lakers. And look, even after he opted in, there's still been nonstop talk around the NBA and around the situation that Kyrie does inevitably want to be a member of the Los Angeles Lakers either now or next summer. So I think that now, I don't know specifically what the reason was for KD to request this trade, but that is an absolute massive, massive, massive major factor. So let me 
before we get into that, like this, the, the part of this that's frankly been the most confusing to me is um, it, it from from what you and other people have reported, it doesn't seem like Katie re- like requesting a trade shocked anybody within the Nets. Um, it, 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 they they perhaps saw it coming. My question is, if you if you kind of know that's likely on the horizon, why are you trading a first round pick for Royce O'Neal? Royce O'Neal is a, is a good, decent player who, if they kept the two stars, is a nice complementary piece for that team you're building. Makes kind of no sense if you're going a different direction, especially moving draft picks. Yeah, well, they're definitely going to be moving in a different direction, but they're definitely going to still be operating with an end goal of being a championship contender and a perennial contender. Like, all the, all the word around Joe Sy and his leadership in Brooklyn has been that they want to mirror what Golden State has done, being time and again in the finals, not afraid to pay the luxury tax bill if it is resulting in you know deep playoff runs with gate revenue, right? Um, and, and printing uh, apparel and memorabilia and all that jazz, selling out tickets and becoming just a staple banner franchise of the league. That, that is the goal of, of this ownership entity. So, so this is this is frustrating. And by the way, folks who are waiting for questions, we'll get to you in a second. This is frustrating for me because this is one of those things that happens in the NBA. People say the NBA is a copycat league. Um, this is obviously trying to copy something, but it's it's copying. They're trying to copy the form, not the substance. Like the the Warriors aren't just hey, we got some good players, we kept them together, and we won, and blah blah blah. It's like the specifics of the players both their games and their personalities and how they came, how they came together is, is sort of a key part of that. And I like it's yeah. trying to do that. I don't want to get into a built versus bot thing. Cause I don't, I think that conversation <laughs> is stupid, but, it, but you can't like throw a bunch of guys together and act like they all got drafted at the same times and were like roommates in training camp. Not that we do that anymore, but you know, you can't like, you can't like, it's just a different dynamic. And so that's, you know that that that's that is frustrating for me to hear. It's just like, well, it's a different thing. Like, why? You, anyway, for sure. Sorry. <laughs> Especially no, it, it's a great point because now in Brooklyn and Golden State as franchises on like a on a fabric level, on a substance level, not form level. To use your expression. Ooh. We lost Jake for a second there. We'll get him right back. While we get him back, I'll take a quick question from Kyle. Well, well no, I'm, I'm back. Sorry. What a cliffhanger yeah. there. No, uh, I just, I'm just yeah, no, that. Let's, well, no, let, let, let's, let's keep that as a cliffhanger and, and get Kyle right. up here for a question real quick. How you guys doing? Hey, Jake. Hey, Kyle. What's going on? Thanks for coming over to Seth's show. Everyone, Seth's show. Absolutely. He's doing this twice a week. Seth's way smarter than me. Come listen to Seth all the time. Oh, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey. My question is, I've been reading that there's still a possibility that, you know, with this uh, Kevin Durant situation, that Gold State could be in on the on the picture if they really wanted to be aggressive with uh, getting rid of some of their players like Jordan Poole, et cetera, and bringing him back to Golden State to go for another championship. What's your guys' thoughts on that? Seth, Stranger you want to take that first? Stranger things have happened. <laughs> um, I don't like. I don't know. Um, yeah, I the the like if if that's what you know if uh, the feel I, I kind of feel like if that's what Kevin Durant wants to do now that that's probably going to be what happens. But it's a question of you know does does is that what he wants to do now given. Um, sort of the, the fallout of both of him going to and leaving Golden State, I don't think left the left the cleanest taste in his mouth, based on essentially everything he said publicly ever. Okay, yeah, there's not there's not much I can say right now in terms of the conversations I've had with Nets people since Kevin requested a trade. One thing I can confidently say is that, and that I feel allowed to say is that um uh and not allowed by like because i know someone texted me today about how all these negotiations this week are all going to be 
know, we're going to hear a lot of things from different reporters that negotiations are going to happen in, in, in public air. Like that's sure. Like messaging does get spread out there, but also these negotiations between Toronto and Brooklyn, let's say, or Golden State gets on the field. Like they don't. These teams don't need the media and sports center and what have you to negotiate in a public forum. That's just a dumb rant. But what I feel like I'm allowed to say in terms of like wanting to keep my relationships intact um, is that um, very few teams have not called Brooklyn. For, I mean, that was like Thursday. <laughs> so like the Golden State stuff, because I remember if I remember correctly, Kyle, your question was talking about Poole and Wiggins and Wiseman. Like I am yep. positive the Warriors called. Not, 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 not to say I have confirmed that it happened, but like the Warriors are arguably the best run organization in the NBA. They have one of the savage GMs in Bob Myers. If you're a smart GM, just looking at the chessboard in the marketplace, you're going to call Brooklyn just to find out what the cost is. Are they going to make a? Are they going to make a big offer? I'd be very surprised. And it was communicated to there. early on. Not a very likely outcome. If I can, if I break in there, you're if you're a marginally competent GM from from one of the other 29 teams, you've called Golden State just to say, hey, who do you like? Just to see, like you know, for for twenty three teams, give or take, it's it's one phone call and like, well, we tried. But if you don't do that, like, that's literally the kind of stuff that that your job is to run down those grounders. And maybe it's not the and this is this is one of those things. Maybe it's not the GM calling. Maybe it's the AGM or somebody you know who you know someone lower level calls someone lower level they have a relationship with. Just to, hey, anybody you like, and then okay, well, no, we can't do it for. John Collins in a first. So, oh, well. Um, well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, to say one more thought on Golden State briefly. I, you know, they've been so, they, when I've talked to Warriors people over the last 18 months or so, let's say, like, they've been so sensitive to, to the pushback that, like, oh, they can't thread this needle of, of, of having a, a rebuild while also contending. I don't say that to like poke fun or anything. I just I know they care about pulling this off. They want to they want to do what the Spurs weren't capable of doing with Kawhi. So, I mean, Kevin Durant would have to come in a for this to happen. Where Golden like a the stars would want it to work. I, I was going to say the big difference between Brooklyn and Golden State in terms of like a fabric level, the Warriors are led and guided by the spirit and the professionalism and the humility of Steph Curry, but he does not run the organization. And Bob Myers and his ability to connect on the same level as Steph does and their harmony as leaders and organizational figureheads, not figureheads, but you know, heads of the totem pole, if you will, um, now that's a way stronger synergy and something that breeds success as a team than when you open your doors for two superstars. And I, I think that's the biggest criticism that Sean Marks's front office has kind of understood that they deserve is that they kind of let those two guys dictate the culture and kind of the organizational fabric of that team for a while. And we've seen the unraveling since. And the word, the buzzwords you've heard have been, you know, Sean Marks wanting to take back the culture and what have you. And I think being a San Antonio product that Marks is, like, I do think there's going to be a different um, tenor to how the Nets move forward and whatever this post-KD Kyrie era does become. Got it. Uh, can I, you know, I have, I have two questions based on that, and I, I, I assume that was sort of your your cliffhanger when you when you, when you you dropped earlier, was about the that comparison between Brooklyn and Golden State? Yes. Okay, so um, to like, well, question on that, and this is this is more of a hypothetical because I, I wouldn't expect you to know necessarily, but you, you you mentioned like they haven't Golden State hasn't outsourced their team to Steph Curry. I'm pretty certain that Steph Curry and especially Draymond Green and Clay Thompson to some extent have asked for things. Hey, we yes. want this guy on the team. Um, I think the difference is not that they haven't asked for things or pushed hard for them; it's that Bob Myers has said no. And like among among above everything else, like you know, every team in the league caters to their stars. That's just how it works. Um, you know, the the balance of power has, has, is is such that star says something, star tends to get it within reason. 
Um, the shots that come to being a member of the Bucks, like it just it happens across the league. That's the first example that came to mind of many. I, I no comment. Um, <laughs> apologies, um, apologies. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, no exactly. It's, that, that's fair. Um, um, but no, the, the, I think the, the the operative example here, like that's the, you know your fifteenth man being somebody is is kind of you know that's 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 not crossing the line of something like. We want to sign DeAndre Jordan for four years and have him start over Jared Allen. That's that's kind of on the other side of the line where, no, like you, you know what I mean. So I think that's that's the difference we're talking about. And, and in my mind, like uh, you know, taking back the culture is just that. It's like okay, we're going to put the be- the best team because we're about winning and nothing else. And if and we we can talk about it, but we th- I think this is the best way we win and. That's that's how it's going to be. But I'm, you're well, my door is always open. But rather than kind of you know laying down the law and the curfew and anything like that, so it's it's the, the messaging is about like that sounds like more drill sergeanty than I think it really is an operation. Adam, we lost Jake again. Uh, Ice. Well, well, Jake is coming back up here. I, I apparently my. My blistering rhetoric uh, uh, scared him away. But uh, Trey Ice, uh, uh, if you got a question, we'll get to that, and then uh, then Jake can respond to my rant. Yeah, guys, happy fourth. I was wondering if there was an update on John Collins' situation in Atlanta, and I'm not sure if I've seen or read your thoughts, Seth. But what do you think of the Trey and Dejounte pairing? Thank you, guys. Uh, you want to go first with with any updates on that, and then I'll uh, I'll I'll make him sad. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's my fault. Uh, whenever I mute myself, try to clear my throat or something, I, I, I'm booting, so I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I'm, I'm not going to mute it. We're going live and unfiltered <laughs> the rest of the way. Um, and, and to respond to your point, and, and, and I'll, I'll bleed it into Ice's question. Um, so the Warriors definitely, like, ask Steph and Draymond and Clay when the prospect of, you know, trading for an Andrew Wiggins, you know, comes up. When being the you know the number one player talked about as a flight risk last summer, like I can tell you, I have it on good. Ask Steph, Clay, and Draymond what they would think about potentially bringing on Draymond. So that's that's very fair to do because obviously you want to be a partner with those guys, but you also don't want them to become bigger than the organization. So in Atlanta, like Trey is definitely not the organization, from my understanding, but like. The Hawks ownership and front office, they value what he likes and what he doesn't like and who he likes and who he doesn't like and playing styles. And also, they do go out and do things that they believe are going to benefit him because of his own deficiencies. So, I mean, I, I, I've said this on Colin previously. To me, one of the guiding principles of the Trey and DeJounte pairing in Atlanta is because they were – and clearly some people in the in that leadership group there believed that they would have an upside there. Seth, you obviously might disagree. A lot of that upside they've been considering in a world without John Collins, of course, to really land this plane. Um, and I'm sorry, Ice, I don't have any updates for you on John Collins. That's, I, I, think, I think the trade market right now in general is kind of being held up by this DeAndre, uh, KD, Kyrie, I'll throw in Miles Turner, Vortex. Um, and, like, I'd be surprised if we saw a trade that isn't something on, on the margins. Um, you know, something like you know, like the Nets announced they signed a two-way player today, which I thought which I got a bit of a kick out of, not to be uh, – uh, uh, not to besmirch the two-way contracts out there, but it is what it is. Um the Collins market, I think, is probably getting held up by other conversations, but also there wasn't a lot of movement beforehand, too. I really have – I got nothing new for you. I'm sorry. So on the substance of it, um, I think I think it makes Atlanta better. Um, I think it is incremental improvements rather than a sea change. Now, we can argue back and forth about, you know, whether or not Minnesota, like, traded too much draft capital. Um, but that's a trade that that improves Minnesota by much more than 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 Dejounte Murray does Atlanta. I mean, partially, that's, I think Gobert's a much better player than Dejounte Murray is part of that. Now, you know, we talk about future, you know, age stuff like that. 
like that those are all relevant considerations. My worry is with the pairing is um, the on-court synergy makes it makes sense on defense, like in terms of Dejounte being able to cover up for some of, of Trey's, uh, you know, in a versatile way, being able to cover up for for Trey's, um, you know, both lack of uh, you know size and, and defensive ability, and also occasional lack of focus and effort. Um, I wonder how they pair on offense because Murray is not a good off-ball player, and Trey is a has the skills to be a good off-ball player, but A, you kind of want him on the ball a lot, and B, he's shown no inclination to be kind of a second-side threat when he doesn't have the ball. So maybe, now maybe you say they're buddies, they'll figure it out, he'll want to he'll wanna be, you know, spot up on the weak side, he'll want to attack closeouts on the weak side, he'll want to run second-side pick-and-rolls more often than he does now. Um, and if that happens, then it, then it improves them more, but... Um, it, it is not a it is not a complete and total natural synergy for the team, and they gave up a lot to get there. And who does it who does that jump them ahead of in the East? Does it jump them ahead of Milwaukee? I don't think so. Does it jump them ahead of Boston? I don't think so. Does it jump them ahead of 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 uh, you know you know I, I would have said Brooklyn a week ago, but that <laughs> but that's a that's a whole other aside. Um, you know uh, Miami maybe we're talking about something now. Um, Philly, Philly is a giant. It's not a giant. Who knows? But it's somewhat a who knows based on sort of um, how their former Rockets core has aged over the last year. But I think that um, you know, I think Atlanta would be an underdog against against Philly right now. So does it get them back into the playoffs? Probably. Does it get them home court? I'm a little more skeptical of that. Um, now you have time for it to work out, and as we've been talking about with John Collins, there's another move or three to be made. Um, so I so there's still time for them to fix that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's the kind of thing that jumps them into legit contender status yet. Yeah. Um, let me see. So we're we're jumping around a little bit, but that's that, that, that's okay. Um, that's that's kind of how it works this time of year. Uh, anything else we need to kind of we need to to sort of wrap up on. The Nets, I mean, I think we've kind of seen the Suns, we've seen the Warriors, we've seen the Lakers as all those teams that have gotten mentioned as KD destinations. Like, I mean, would you say those are the three kind of main ideas? Are there other ones that are, that, that you know, are, are kind of out there that, that make any sense? Like Miami's been mentioned, but I have, I have no idea how that happens in a way that makes any sense at all. Um, if they're not, yeah. if, if if Bam is not in that trade, you can't trade Kevin Durant for Tyler Harrow on draft picks. Agreed. Um, yeah, I think I think one thing that Brooklyn really has at their advantage here is well, I'll say a couple things. One is one is time, because the market is virtually done. Like all of free agency, if you want, if you wanted me to catch you up on as in the beginning, kind of moved you know ninety percent of the pieces off the board. Um, I think two. They don't necessarily have to acquiesce, but I think they are going to try to make sure he's in a situation he's at least happy in, and that allows for more dialogue. Where you know they're not your driving factor is not just where does this guy want to go. It's also how can this benefit us. So to your point, yeah, I mean Phoenix and Miami have been the two destinations, and people have been saying that's where he would want to go if this thing went south for a while. I mean. I was hearing it loud and clear on, on last Monday a week ago while Kyrie was in the final waffling stages of what to do for his option. Um, and, you know, the early stance I'm, I, I know Brooklyn was prepared to take, as I wrote last Thursday at Bleach Report, was like, well, you're not getting KD without Devin Booker. And he just signed a contract extension. So he moved for a long, long time. So that's going to make that all the more complicated. Um, as I wrote, on Thursday, I don't have update as updated info on this as I would like, but my early impression from a lot of different people who would know about the situation was that the Nets were not like chopping at the bit to sign DeAndre Ayton as part of a return for KD. So that, that's going to make that difficult. Um, which you know, is, I mean, I, I think with him and Kyrie, they're both going to three or fourteen situations. So that's. 
Phoenix and Miami situations work to your point, Seth, about Bam, it's going to be difficult, contractually speaking, with also having to move out Ben Simmons in that scenario. But there are teams, obviously, who, this is all I'll say for now, that you know are going to be able to poke around on that. There are teams who are going to be able to poke around on adding Ben and KD and Kyrie and, and, and uh, KD. Like, this is going to be a process where the rush but, like, look, when an offer comes to the table that's going to, like, immediately be serious and one that they have to think about, then it, this could change. They could, it could rapidly happen, but at certainty, they're, they're, they're not going to be, you know, feeling like there's a clock ticking over their shoulder here. So, last, last point on this, like, you know, asking you to make a prediction that someone's going to throw back in your face and yeah, possibly – and possibly, and possibly get you aggregated. So sorry. Um, like, if you had to guess, opening night next year, where is Kevin Durant playing? It's hard. It's really hard. I think there's. <laughs> look, I'll say this. I think there's a non-zero chance that if the Nets are able to move Kyrie to LA in like a massive five-team thing or a four-team thing, and they get some pieces back, like, could they even? make a package that allows KD to stay. Like, I think that's not off the table either to kind of give an idea of how wide open this is. Um, I mean, he definitely, it seems like Phoenix is his top choice. If there are avenues to expand uh, DeAndre Ayton sign and trade, um, you know, that seems to be the most likely and the most viable dynamic on the bit. You know, Toronto can swoop in and easily make the best offer. New Orleans could come and make an amazing offer. I don't know. I don't have a strong sense on New Orleans' interest, except, like, I've heard things about how, like, taking him on would, you know, definitely push them into – would definitely push them into um, the tax threshold, which they've never paid the tax, uh, the Pelicans. So, like, would that be – I know. There's just complications. So, I will just – the most likely avenue that can have something with DeAndre Ayton in a multi-team sign-and-trade thing, kind of like how Russ got to L.A. last year, which can tie in with the Spencer Dinwiddie sign-and-trade and all that. So the July 6th, you know, moratorium could be a, a big trigger point for all of this, but it also extend past that, what have you. Phoenix would seem to be the, the place that has the greatest – opportunity for it to happen so I'll, I'll i'll say that so if it, if anyone's listening and wants to and wants to tweet you know something in aggregation just uh jake fisher no i'm kidding i'm not gonna um <laughs> uh, so i think this is a good part to get to go, go to deandre Aiden. but before i do that uh longtime friend of the show abdul rahman has, has been waiting patiently with the question so uh uh fire away sir hi Seth. happy to have you here so my question is does the Lakers have uh, the leverage in Kyrie's situation or not? Well, the, leverage in ter- the leverage in terms of, like, get making a deal with Brooklyn or in terms of, like, they want him and he wants them? No, they have upper hand or not. Well, the one thing the Lakers really do have in their pocket is that there is not significant interest in Kyrie Irving around the NBA. So they're not exactly, like, competing with – like, everyone is calling about KD, right? There are not that many teams who, from my understanding, who are actively engaged on Kyrie's whereabouts and landing spots. Um, so one, would think, one would think that that would give you pause where we're a team that was like, yes, let's get him, nobody else, where's everybody else? Just one would think. I don't know, but never. Well, not many teams have a 37-year-old LeBron James on their roster who are trying to squeeze out every last drop (laughs) of contention from his orange juice. That 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 is also true. Um, I but you know the 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 Lakers process is what it is. Put it that way. Look, if like the Bucks didn't have Drew Holiday, this is completely like off the cuff. Like, literally, please don't aggregate this. Like if the Bucks, when they got Drew Holiday, were like in their spot, they've got this, they've got this star. They need to do things to push their envelope of contention to keep him happy, to keep him to stay. Like I could totally see them, that type of team in that scenario. Like the Lakers are that team. They've got LeBron. He's a free agent. They want to, 
you know, they don't want him. To, they don't want to risk him leaving necessarily because I don't think he really has many like obvious landing spots for himself either. Like they're trying to win while he still is one of the top players in the in the world. So, like it does make sense when you look at it through that prism. No, sure, I I agree with you, and it's also I mean it's also if like the trade is like hey we'll trade we'll trade you Russell Westbrook for Kyrie Irving. It's like okay, well. You weigh the baggage on one hand with the with the the you know the up, upgrade in, in on the floor. Certainly, you know I don't. We can argue back and forth about those two players. I don't think it's close, but certainly yeah. the synergy with with LeBron is much greater with with Kyrie than it than it is with Westbrook. So, and I'll, I'll but, tell you right now on the Russ Kyrie stuff. Like, if there is a deal that make, gets done, where Russ and Kyrie are effectively or Russ and Kyrie, Russ and Kyrie. <laughs> are effectively swapped with one another, I will stand here today and guarantee you that it is not going to be a two-team deal. Like, that is just... (laughs) I would be absolutely floored if just putting in two two first-round picks... Although, you know, you talk to people around the league and the Lakers... You know, if it's an unprotected Lakers 2027 and 2029 selection, like, people are kind of curious about what that would look like. But at the same time, like, I, I mean, it, it's, I mean, if that's the best thing that Brooklyn has, maybe they do it. But from every conversation I've had with people on the net side of things, like, they did not have interest in that. That was before Kevin Durant requested a trade, though. So maybe, maybe things have changed. Sure. But hey, uh, my, but my initial thought that. KD will get away and go to another team. So why you are competing with this payroll to to have to go in the deep tax when you have no championship or contending hope? So Russ, maybe he's a bad player, but have only one year in his contract and can go away after the other year and go under the tax. No, I think right. that's a. I think that's a fair point. I think that based on um, what what Jake said earlier, like they that that's just not what they're going to do. I think that even with them having and, and thanks for the, thanks for the questions, Abdul Rahman. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, uh, I mean, given how much draft equity they owe to Houston, if they could recoup like the bulk of that in some way, like they 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 would still be out their own picks, which makes kind of the 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 losing part of a of a rebuild tougher, but it, but they would have you know some way to go. It's just I, I don't think that from what you're saying, Jake, it doesn't seem like that's something they're interested in. And no, I can I, 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 I mean you know th- there might be a little bit of of being pot committed here, but having you know gone through the last two years, it's like well that sucked. Let's rebuild. Kind of seems like makes makes all of that almost like wasted. Yeah. What is interesting is, you know, people with this net situation from the trade deadline until now, you know, people want to say, oh, is this the end of the super team era? Is this the final, you know, referendum on super teams? And one thing I, I found interesting is that, like, yes, KD and Kyrie joined up together in free agency to join Brooklyn. But a big reason why this thing fell apart was adding in that third dynamic of trading all those picks you just mentioned for James Harden. Now, a lot of those picks were very lightly protected, right? So when, when you make that big deal and it goes awry, all of a sudden that has to be a governing point. Not, not the one, but it has to be something on your mind as you conduct your business as an organization. And we just saw the Hawks, to Ice's question earlier, give up a bunch of unprotected picks for DeJounte Murray. The, the, the Wolves just do it for Rudy Gobert. And, like, look, I, I, I've talked a lot, obviously, about the train DeJounte, uh, the relationship where them wanting to play together, what have you. Rudy Gobert is not necessarily considered to be the most sunshine and rainbows player in the league. Carl Anthony Towns already, you know, the, the Timberwolves already traded like for an alpha dog guy to play with. I'm not saying Rudy's that guy, but to trade for another all-star established like dude in this league and the shelf life, you know, wasn't that long. Like it's been interesting to me to see teams just so willing to throw unprotected wings or unprotected picks out, like you know, out the door to try to pair more superstars and more superstars in the wake of what just happened, and that hasn't really been talked about in that context. I don't think. I and and Scotty, we'll get to your question in a second. Um, 
I, I think it's it's some somewhat a function of they're not of of the 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 it, they're not big team out there. There's a lot of really good teams staring at everyone in the face, and so like, of course, a, lo- of course. a lot of teams are saying, "Well, let's go." I mean, you you know the 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 Celtics were I want I, I don't want to say they're nowhere, but like this the the you know the Celtics the I mean. Uh, Shit, I didn't. I didn't. I, I didn't. I picked the the Warriors to make the play in this year. So, like, <laughs> oops. Um, but you know, Miami. Uh, not Miami. Um, Phoenix last year. Miami two years ago. Like these. Th- there's in this kind of transitionary period between kind of the uh, the the in the post. You know, Cavs Warriors yearly date in the final. Let, let's call. Let's call it the playing tournament era. Because that's yeah. honestly that's honestly played a big factor too. Where the teams at the bottom of the contending sphere, all the teams you know ten through six are all like, well, we should be an eight an eighth seed. You know, we shouldn't even be in the playing tournament. Obviously, that's a little bit of an unrealistic proposition for many teams that are thinking that about themselves. Just like teams who think they're contending really aren't. But like that moves everyone else up the line. Well. You know, if the Cavs are all of a sudden thinking they're, you know, I'm sure the Chicago Bulls and teams like that are thinking, you know, oh, if that's like where they're at, then like we should be here. You know what I mean? I think that's a thing. Uh, you're you're assuming more effort from from the Bulls than has been evident so far, but you know, that be that as it may, um, I'll, I'll I'll leave that shot unanswered. And uh, and and Scotty, what, uh, <laughs> if you want to unmute and ask your question, and, and and after that we'll get to Eden. Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you guys doing? Doing fine, thanks. Hey, Scotty. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hence the name Scotty Barnes, right? I'm a big Scotty Barnes fan. Um, <laughs> I just had a few. I just had a few questions. Um, well, actually, I have a few comments, and then I'll turn them into questions, and you guys can maybe answer it for me. Sure. Uh, obviously, you know, we've been uh, following the media train this week, and you know, we've been hearing a lot of stuff following DraftKings odds, Raptors. Oh my God, we're moving on up. We're gonna get Kevin Durant, Scotty Barnes on the table. My comment and the way I actually feel. I don't think the Raptors are trading Scotty Barnes. I feel like if we were trading Scotty Barnes, Kevin Durant would already be on our team. And if it was a situation where, I don't know, maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, um, if we were able to trade Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant in a perfect world, one for one, if their salaries match, I'm sure we would do it. But in a situation where we kind of do have to add a couple more rotation pieces and Jake's favorite uh, trade target, OG Ananobi, <laughs> I don't see it happening, right? <laughs> so, um, if I don't know, maybe you guys can educate me. Is there any situation... Or maybe if we get like maybe three or four team trade where I don't know, I don't know, because I'm not an expert at the salary cap, where maybe we send out Scotty and we don't have to send out OG and we don't have to send out Trent and we don't have to send a bounty of picks and we acquire Kevin Durant, which is probably a no. And um, how real is this? Are the Raptors, is it just like smoke or are we really trying to get Kevin Durant here? So I'll let you guys uh, let me know what's going on. Uh, let me let me make a general point, and then Jake, you can you can say what uh, you know what what your view of this is. Um, I think uh, Masai Ujiri has one really, I mean, as many talents as as a uh, um, uh, a lead decision maker. One of his best is his willingness to walk away from the table, his willingness to say no. Um, so, um, and that means also willingness to pl- let the thing play out and not get deal fever. So. Um, yeah, if they could have traded traded Scotty Barnes straight up for Kevin Durant, they would have done that. If I, they could have traded for Kevin Durant without including Scotty Barnes, they would have done that. But this is, as Jake has already said, this is a thing that's going to play out, and he's going to stay in the game until it's obvious that he can't win the game. Um, and I think that, you know, if they do end up with Kevin Durant, I think that the unlikely scenario that you describe is probably more likely the way it's going to happen than them trading, you know, half of their playing rotation for, uh, you know, uh, a, a mid-30s guy who has played half the games the last two years after coming back from an Achilles injury. It's a big complication, right? Like, how do you both match his salary and enough of a team that he would theoretically want to play with, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's why I think the, the board has, in theory, narrowed to a couple of these obvious teams that we that keep getting talked about because they're obvious. I will say, like, I, I'm i not necessarily preparing for it to be some random out-of-the-blue team, but, like, look, we did not expect Paul George to go 
I mean, I wasn't really having these conversations that maybe you were set, the other people in the league were. I don't, the impression though was that people weren't just expecting Paul George to go to OKC. Like, there, I mean, no one was expecting the Spurs to trade DeJounte Murray, right? So, like, well, before, before his name got brought up, like, when we entered the draft season, DeJounte Murray was not a name on my radar. So, if there's a player that, like, this is a this, please don't aggregate this. this is, I'm just totally pulling. Like Calvin Booth is the new GM in Denver, right? Let's say he's just like not a giant fan of Jamal Murray. Never was. Like that type of situation where a team just all of a sudden they they like they're a good team. They'll just say you know, or like this is we never thought this guy would have a chance to get us Kevin Durant again. I'm not saying Denver has done that. I'm not saying Calvin Booth hates Jamal Murray. Complete, complete example off the top of my head. Maybe, um, maybe a better one is, is Tim Connolly hating draft picks. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> let's say Tim Connolly isn't a giant fan of Anthony Edwards. And he was like, you know, I only really came here because of the once-in-a-lifetime financial opportunity it was. And sure, like, Anthony Edwards is great, but, like, I could always flip him for something later. But what if Kevin Durant is you – know, again, just yeah. totally think – that's a type of total thing that could happen. And I think – I mean, the Nets, I will definitely say this, the Nets have gone very dark on unnecessary conversations with media and from people around the league, I'll say. Um, And, like, a lot of, I think, the reason why the Warriors have come up as a potential landing spot are because they, in theory, have a package that could both eat Kevin Durant's financial value, his encore value, and still present him a contending situation. Just like why... Brandon Ingram is naturally going to come up as like a mentioned talking boy in New Orleans. Same thing with Toronto. Does that to bring this back to the Raptors? I do though think that there's more smoke there than in other situations. Being that to Seth's point before about besides well-known success, I mean he did it with with Kawhi and he did it willingly, knowing that Kawhi. Everyone around the league was expecting Kawhi to bolt for LA and for agency anyway. They still did it. I still won the title. You know, can, can Fred VanVleet masquerade as your, you know, Kyle Lowry? I mean, he's done a pretty good job so far, right? You know, can you keep one of OG, Scotty, Pascal, Gary Trent and have a new type of big three with KD? You know, it's. I would think, though, that to your point, yes, if Scotty Barnes was on the table already, the deal would very well. Un- but that doesn't mean he won't ever be. I, that's completely me just talking about the rhythms of negotiating. Like, like you know, he could he could at some point if that's like the line they're trying to hold, and they will. But I will wrap this up by saying, to your point, Scotty, I don't think they would trade Scotty for Kevin Durant. With the well, age I, factor, I don't I don't think that's something that I mean the Raptors are definitely very excited about the future of what that guy could lead them to one day. I, I, I agree. I just want to leave you guys with one more point. Um, if, if if there were other offers, I mean, like in all these, like with these new, like the CBA with these uh, designated players and all these blue chip prospects, all these young guys that can't even be moved for Kevin Durant, if I understand correctly. There's like a lot of them, right? So a lot of the, the players that Brooklyn is necessarily waiting out for, they're looking for, like you just said, Bam, and there's a lot of other players. They're not even eligible to be traded. So I don't see why Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster would put Scotty Barnes on the table because I feel like that would be far and away the best player and the best asset to put in the trade. So, yeah, I don't really think Brooklyn has that much leverage because there aren't really that much players that they can really get that are that much better than Scotty Barnes. So I'll just leave you guys with that. Yeah. Oh, and to, to, to you know, before we um, and this may be, re- may be related, I think that the, 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 the um, many times the as is just saying no. Like, and as you said earlier, like, you know, there, there are scenarios in which they, you know, the, the example, I think it's a very different example, but the example that's kind of come up has been when Kobe asked for a trade and the Lakers did some things and it was never spoken of again, except in, in terms of, of having these, these kind of, of, of comparisons. So there, it's not like it's unprecedented for, for a guy to be like, I want out. And then like, ah, no, actually this is fine. So, um, like they can, they have the ability to just say no. Now there's some, you know, management of the situation that has to go along with that. But that's, it's Kevin Durant, and you're not trading him for peanuts. So, you know, like like you, 
he's I mean when it comes down to it he is he is under contract for four years so there's no reason for them to 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 panic deal and and take you know sixty percent of of what a trade return for a player of that magnitude should be um let's uh let's let's finally now pivot to DeAndre Ayton. um the the, a conversation that's been going on, on a lot, sort of behind the scenes in my circles, is there's really it's it's it, people have, have strongly upheld opinions one of two ways. One is DeAndre Ayton is things in stasis because the Kevin Durant situation is hot and heavy, and that's holding everything up. The other opinion is there's no market for DeAndre Ayton, so the Phoenix is just kind of waiting him out and is going to, you know, leverage that to do what they can uh, unless, like, a great sign-and-trade pops up. Um, based on what you know, Jake, like, which of those is more right? Um, I think it's a little of both. I think DeAndre Ayton's market is not as vast as they would like it to be either. Um, I mean, the two teams that continue to be mentioned as, like, looming out there for him are... Uh, I'm trying to straddle the line of what I was trying to save for my story on Wednesday. <laughs> um, our, our Indiana and Toronto, as like, you know, there could be another thing out there that I haven't heard about, but those are the two that have been repeatedly mentioned to me as like still on the board. Um, like, you know, again, I haven't talked to anyone in Brooklyn about this since I haven't talked to anybody about Brooklyn at all since like Friday um, about anything serious. Uh, and, you know, could be outdated, but I don't think they're you know enamored by DeAndre and to say that. So I think sure, like the holdup of could there be a deal where he's part goes somewhere else as part of a KD exit? I think yes, it's definitely being held up part as part of that. But also, you know, if there was a max contract out there waiting for him, I think he would be taken. Like in a, in a situation that's not held up by this, is my point. Yeah, no, I, I, I that that seems right to me. Um, what you know, I think we we I think we talked about this a little bit, but like this is just a very it's very odd how just how fast that situation seems to have gone south. Is there is there stuff that has been just brewing behind the scenes for a while there, or was this you know there were some pretty well publicized blowups during the playoffs, and obviously Phoenix's season ending the way it did probably left everybody a little on edge, like. Did, did this just kind of turn suddenly, or has it been like that? You know, getting demolished by Dallas in Game Seven. Did that was that just kind of like you know pop the lid off the soda? So, the, so I was just talking to someone about this sometime since Thursday, who had said like Chris Paul, from their understanding, was DeAndre's biggest champion this time last year, and trying to get him paid. And, you know, something after the contract talks, you know, obviously that, that opens up wounds and they didn't cover them. And those wounds were exposed all year long. And, you know, I once, you know, there was a lot of talk about after the Suns brought in Bismack Biombo and when Aiton was hurting for a big stretch in January, they went like seven and L without him. And like, oh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul are just so good. You know, you can get these, you know, basically a rim runner off. You're fine. Um, Jalen Smith, yeah, <laughs> it was really, it was really that that talk that talking point was really coming up a lot when they when they brought Biombo literally off you know the veteran. Happy not to be dismissive, like Biombo has obviously been a player who's contributed to winning situations throughout his entire career, um, and th- since then there's just been I don't have specifics that I can share. But there's been just endless talk from people, both in Phoenix, both with you know University of Arizona ties with people around. There's people around the NBA who would know that like the relationship definitely deteriorated between DeAndre and the other key key uh, actors there, and the the Suns just generally don't believe him to be worth you know thirty plus million dollars, and because of that, it just all kind of brewed together into a mixture that is probably leading to him playing in a different uniform next year. Um, so, you know, is, is this sort of in the same kind of holding pattern, a 
people, you know, three or four different teams kind of staring at each other over the table and waiting to see who blinks first in, in sort of the same, like less, I think less uh, momentous for the league overall, but in a, in a similar dynamic to the, uh, the Durant situation. I think so. I think this is the one thing that's most directly been held up and, and, and impacted by it being that, you know, he's on Phoenix right now for him to get to, um, a lot of, a lot of scenarios, it would have to be a sign and trade, you know, Toronto, for example, would have to be a sign and trade. Um, and then the, 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 the Suns are not going to do any trade right now before they figure out what's happening to Kevin Durant. So that's definitely part of it for sure. But then again, like I believe San Antonio still has the cap space to offer him the big deal that he wants. Like if they wanted to sign him to that number, which was something that was being talked about at one point in time in this, you know, rumor cycle, you know, that deal would be there. So, or, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe it's there and he's waiting for a situation he wants elsewhere. That, that certainly could be the case, but that, that's not the impression I've gotten. Sure. Okay. So we've basically spent most of our time talking about the, the two biggest things. And I figure since people have been very patiently waiting with questions, let's just get to a couple of those to finish up because, I mean, we could, I could ask you questions about what the hell's going on for hours, but we don't have that kind of time. And it's a holiday and we both probably want to go grill some meats somewhere. So uh, we'll finish off with a couple of questions. Start with Charles. Thank you for, uh, thank you for taking the time and listening. And what do you got? Charles, are you there? Okay. Hate when that happens. Yeah, uh, Joe. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Um, so you guys have talked about this a little bit, but it seems like a lot of the NBA is just in waiting period for the KD and A and stuff to line up. And there's this also issue where the Nets want to be patient, in that the the more patient they are, the more the better offers that they theoretically will get. And so in the end, this is anything going to happen in the next few months or are we just kind of waiting or are there, do you expect other things to start happening as it becomes obvious that the Durant thing might take a while or what do we think is happening here? Yeah, those are basic ideas. Is there any chance of other things happening as it becomes obvious that the KD situation is going to take a while to resolve? This, this sort of dynamic was, was much cleaner back when, you know, the uh, the moratorium actually meant something uh, before yeah. before it was open. Like I remember, like you know, se- like several years where it was like this kind of like period between kind of when we knew people were talking and when things were actually get got done. I remember f- three or four different years where it was actually I think every different time it was LeBron uh, come to think of it. But like, what's LeBron going to do? And that ca- that kind of held up yeah. a lot of the league's business. So this one was weird. Gordon Hayward was like taking meetings yeah. and it was last, right, right. like the Jalen Brunson thing cut and dry done. Like, yeah. 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 No. And well, no, they were, they were still taking meetings because nobody was tampering. Nobody. Um, sure. Uh, uh, no. So I think that, that this is, this is weird in that, like, I can't remember a time when something this big has like been hovering over every while the normal business of free agency has gotten done at the same time. Yeah, like the Anthony Davis trade loomed over the pre-draft cycle that year in 2019, but it didn't like impact <laughs> much because it got done. You know, it got before. done on Father's Day. It got done on Father's Day, which you know a lot of people were very happy about. Um, a lot of. <laughs> um. And to that point, like Kevin Herter getting dealt to Sacramento, like those level of deals happen like John Collins I think can definitely get traded I do think he might be held up being that there's a bit of a John Collins DeAndre and like Miles Turner you know like big market hold up but like if a team who's out of the KD sweepstakes wants to go get John Collins like I think Atlanta's not waiting to find out what happens with KD to move John Collins okay so so at this point people are still waiting eventually we'll get to the point where people just kind of Stop doing, start doing more edge stuff. Probably, there's yeah, not much more to do too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's, there's a few. I mean, there's, there's some, there's a few players out okay. there. There's, there's some like the taxpayer mid level out there. Um, you know, where's T.J. Warren going to sign? People want to know. Yeah, yeah. T.J. Warren, the random Indiana guys, but those might also be tied up, connected. But yeah, yeah. 
Thank, uh, thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the question, Joe. Um, take a couple more. Uh, James. If you can unmute and uh, fire away, please. Hi, am I? Okay, yeah, I think it's working. Yeah. Um, so just two two quite quick ones. That uh, Kevin Herder trade wrapped up the, the Kings' first-round picks to, I think, about 2027 with the, with the protections. Do you think that's then kind of tapping out of of much future trades. I mean, there was a lot of talk about Rashawn Holmes getting moved potentially, but then that's, I don't know, a lot, a lot of, I don't know how much of it, just Mike Brown coach talk, but a lot of it seems to indicate he's there. And the, the other very quick one is what are the odds of Steve Nash talking about buying Munich and Liverpool in four months on the TV instead of um, staying <laughs> in Brooklyn? I don't have uh, anything updated to say on Nash. Um, but like, I know that no one there thinks he's had a real opportunity to like be a head stable roster, but to your point, like he could, does the Steve Nash really need to wait for that? Like I haven't gotten the impression that he's looking to, to move elsewhere though. Um, I don't know, Seth, what, 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 what are your thoughts here? I mean, I thought he was, I thought he did in his first season, I thought he did a, um, especially given his level of experience, I thought he did a very credible job. I think he did less well this year, but I'm like, who could have, like, who could have managed that this year? I mean, he was he was sort of thrust into the role of of really being kind of a, a, a you know the the the, the sin eater for the organization, and like he was the he was the guy who got trotted out to say, oh no, this is going to work out, and we love it, and blah blah blah, and. When everyone, like everyone under the sun, knew that things were roiling under the surface, but he was, you know, giving the company the line. Um, it's probably not the most fun thing to do. Uh, and and last season, like, I you know, I I think that you know, you you've talked to people from Brooklyn. I've talked to people from Brooklyn. It was miserable, obviously. Like being on a you know being on a being associated with a bad team is sucks. Being associated with a team that should be good and is bad is worse. Because the level of day to day just like angst is um, unfun. So you know, this, the, I mean, I guess sort of the question boils down to what does he need this for? Unless he really wants it. Um, let me see. What was the, the other question? Was about Sacramento. Um, oh yeah, right. I completely yeah. forgot about that. Um, yeah. I think. I think, look, like, like they're pumped to get Kevin Herter, from my understanding. They've got him as their two-guard now. Malik Monk, six-man type role. Domas, Keegan Murray. Like, that's their core-ish for the time being. Sure, the Rashawn, I think as the money goes up, um, like Mitch Robinson's deal is basically the equivalent, right? Like, I'm sure there'll be an appetite for him. Like, I know Chicago, they've looked at him in the past. Come, you know, don't completely you know, that's not to say he's going to Chicago, but like there are definitely teams that have looked at him who have been on the big man market. Um, I mean, I know Toronto at least showed a passing interest when he was a free agent last year. So like, could there be opportunities out there to move him? Yes, but I yeah, I don't see the Kings like being able to go out and be big buyers of anyone else anytime soon unless they're willing to turn one of those dudes I just mentioned into somebody even greater. I you know I, I don't I don't have anything to add other than like um, for a franchise that has made bad trades with draft picks in the past encumbering future picks might be a, a good uh, save us from ourselves sort of move. But, uh, um, th- thanks for the call, James. I'll take take a couple more uh, before we get you out of here. Let's take two more before we get you out of here. Keep uh, kept you an hour already, um, uh, Mikey. If you want to unmute and ask. Still on mute, Mikey. Or, um, sorry, Mikey. Sorry, Mikey. Mikey. I'll catch you next time. Uh, from Hamsung, uh, if I'm hope- hopefully pronouncing that quite uh, correctly. You're on mute as well, Hamsung. Oh, we're... We're we're batting a thousand here at the end. Um, Shannon's a regular caller. Shannon will get it. All right, Shannon, help us out. Um, hi guys. There she um, is. 
I have two questions. <laughs> do you think um, when we get Kyrie, um, do you? Th- I'm saying when because I like to speak stuff into um, existence. <laughs> so when we get Kyrie, do you think the Lakers will extend him um, as soon as possible? Or do you think they'll wait until the offseason? Then my second question is, um, the Bulls signed Goron. So do you think like they're going to train one of their guards? Um, <laughs> um, you want to go first? I mean, I, uh, do I think the Bulls are going to trade one of their guards? I mean, you know, I don't think I don't think they're trading Levine or DeRozan. Um, I do you know? It would I would it, it would be funny if if the Lakers tried to trade for Cruz or Alonzo, just you know for obvious that reasons. Would be funny. Like, oops, Spe- Caruso especially. Like if they them offering like THT for Caruso would would be hilarious. Um, well, Kobe but, Kobe uh, White's name's been on the trade market, let's say, since the deadline. So I would think that he would be the peak because he's also about to get the extension eligible or is extension eligible right now. Um, so he's the, he's the guard I would I would think they they would look to to move out. Um, but they just, I mean it's like we just yeah I mean it's it's the worst version of Malik Monk I guess and hope and hope you <laughs> hope you can run that back I guess it would be the, a lot of guys like second draft guys right you, you trade the guy you trade for the guy after after his first team and you give him a new home and refurbish uh, him who, who else was offering. Who else was offering mid-level money for for uh, Marvin Bagley? But, well, never mind. Let's move past that. Uh, <laughs> uh, on the on the Kyrie thing, do you think? I mean, you think if the Lakers traded for him, they would they would extend him right away? Um, I would think there'd be mutual interest on both sides, being that that was already being whispered about in the ether in his decision to potentially opt out. So that's my one data point I can work off of, and being that also that would seem to be a, a big thing to help drive LeBron to re-sign himself. So I would think getting those guys all extended would seem to match up with uh, why this would why this would be considered a potentially destined marriage to begin with. Does, does, does Netflix sign up for that reality show now or after the, the extension is signed? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me see. We got two people waiting still, so we'll take that. Thank you. Thank you for the question, Shannon. Thank you for for tuning in. Uh, we'll take these last two and then then get you out of here if that's if that's cool with you, Jake. And thanks again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adrian. <laughs> Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, so there is a report of the Lakers having a plan B uh, with the trade involved centered around Miles Turner and Buddy Hield. Do you know how much substance that? Deal has, or was it more of a leverage play by the Lakers? <laughs> I, I haven't heard that discussed yet. The only thing I'll say for sure is that the Lakers have never given uh, their quest to sign Buddy or to add Buddy. I know even after the deal with Sabonis went down, the Lakers called the Pacers before the deadline ended and said, What about Buddy? Um, so, I mean, Rob Polinke used to be his agent. The other thing, I, I, I've just been cautioned to, to not believe the idea that Herb Simon, the Pacers owner, would be willing to take on Russ and then waive him and buy him out. So they would have the Pacers would have to be willing to uh, go through a Russ experiment for a whole year. I'm not sure that is something they have the appetite for in this rebuild and Rick Carlisle's, you know, draconian-type coaching style. So... Uh, that would be something I, I would have to believe before I saw it. I have to see it before I believe. Uh, thanks for the call, Adrian. Let's finish up with with Miami. Hi, hi guys. Thanks for taking the call. Um, sure. With with what's going on in Utah, you think it's more likely that Donovan Mitchell gets traded, or they build around him? And if if they do trade him, is are the Miami Heat the most likely trading partner? Thanks. Uh, I, I'm going to just base this on absolutely nothing and say that I think that um, they, they are, that he's going to get traded either at the deadline this year or next offseason. Um, just just looking at stuff like they, they can say that they're going to try to build around him, but they you know the, the, all the draft picks they got on a very different timeline than Donovan Mitchell, and um, they're going to find out just exactly how important Rudy Gobert was to that team, and it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a rough season in Utah if they if they if they try to sort of build around Mitchell and run it back. 
Yeah, I think. Look, if that if they ever get to that situation, yeah, I think Miami is a, is a leader in the clubhouse if they get there. But to Seth's point, what I've what I've heard pretty loudly from people on the league is that the, the Jazz have at least projected that they are not moving him, not listening to moving him. Um, if they are listening, it's not really seriously listening. Um, and the, people are expecting Donovan to start next season. You tell I'll say that, but am I believing he'll be the Jazz's perennial all-star long-term franchise centerpiece along Seth's lines? I do not expect that to be the case, you know, sometime in the next 24 months. But then again, they go <laughs> on and they make a march to the Eastern Conference Finals. So if to point to Seth's point about the picks not being on Donovan's timeline, if the Jazz are able to use those picks to go get somebody to pair Donovan or a couple somebody's and it all works out, that could happen too. But, I mean, I would, I'm, I'm bracing for any scenario there because it seems very, very fluid. Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report right. uh, in, intimates that uh, Kevin Durant is going to be uh, Utah Jazz. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. I shouldn't even, <laughs> I shouldn't even put that out there for you because I'm, I'm sure that'll come back to you. Jake, uh, thank you for taking the time on, uh, on the 4th of July to chat with me. This was, this was fun as always. Thank, uh, thanks, folks, for, who normally listen to Jake for uh, following, following him over. Uh, you know, stick around. Um, I think that my show is a little more eclectic than, Jay, than, 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 <laughs> than, uh, than Jake's, but to have good guests, have uh, Bo Estes of NBA TV on tomorrow. And, um, uh, one of the more unique stories around the NBA, uh, Brittany Donaldson, who was a Division One player, has been both an analytics uh, staffer and a bench coach with teams. And so she has uh, probably about as uh, well-rounded a view of, of kind of, of of that area of basketball as anyone else. Uh, so those are the folks I'm having on later this week. Uh, hopefully you join me then. And thanks uh, for, for coming on. And uh, enjoy the rest of your fourth. Thanks for having me, man. See you guys. Take care, everyone.